Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. We're coming to you on 40 radio stations, iTunes and YouTube, and the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Thanks for being with us. Today, we're going to discuss the retail industry, retail real estate, and the retail investment market. Please welcome my first guest, Kevin Imboden. He's Director of Research with RC Analytics. RC Analytics does a fantastic job of tracking the investment market around North America. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Pleased to be here. Well, we appreciate it. And Kevin, has retail really come back in vogue with investors? It seems that in our shop, the retail investment market has, has really picked up. What are you seeing for transaction volume around the country? Well, we've seen a slight uptick this year so far in 2014. Year-to-date, we're looking at around $68 billion in volume. And to give you an idea of the increase over the past few years, in 2011, there was $45 billion in retail volume around the country, up to 58 in 2012, 64 last year, and another uptick this year. So there's been an increase, but it's leveling off a little bit, too. And perhaps to give another perspective on that, apartments, which are in some cases probably overvalued a little or at 87 billion in volume and offices at 96 so retail might still have a little bit further to grow okay so 68 billion so far this year that you've tracked that's correct and 64 billion last year so seems like it's tracking uh, real strong right yeah. right and we still have another month to go and usually by the after the end of the year we get a little more information in and we increase the total a bit more right yeah i guess do you see a little bit of a surge at the end of the year the you know, december closings if you will yeah we tend to do that and usually a lot of the brokers want to make sure they get their deals in at year end mm-hmm. to, to make sure they account for our broker rankings and mm-hmm. so we usually see that uptick after the end of the year all right. Well, Kevin, what are you seeing? What are you hearing about uh, retail that's making investors interested in the sector? Well, there are a few things that are driving investor interest. It may not always be positive, but there are <laughs> definitely things that investors are watching. For example, some of the big retailers, they now may be looking at changing their format due to the increase of internet penetration in retail. So if you're looking at some of the middle market retailers like a JCPenney or a Sears, well, they still have the same number of stores in the following years. If you're looking at a mall that has one of them as an anchor tenant, would that be something you could repurpose? Would that be something that where you'd expect them to be around? Would an open-air center be a better move over a enclosed center? I think that question is driving a lot of interest, too, because a lot of open-air centers have been doing quite well of late. Okay. So one man's trash is another man's treasure, huh? <laughs> Certainly, certainly. And there's always opportunity where someone else may have left off. There could be one for you. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think there's a lot of upside and uh, a lot of change in the retail market, and especially when you look at online sales and and how that's affecting the retail market, right? Sure. And I think some of the retailers, the larger retailers, are taking advantage of this uptick in internet sales. They're looking to change their stores into a little bit more of a distribution hub as well where they'll be able to do deliveries to local areas or at least have some kind of pickup system where a customer could come into the store and pick up the goods that they've ordered online. Yeah, that's a good point. And they're in good central locations in major urban areas. So if you're going to get quick delivery, you know, these stores can be a good source. And some of them, you know, have low rents depending, you know, what types of centers and locations that uh, they're located in, right? 
Absolutely. Some of these anchor tenants have signed leases that are very old, um, very they sometimes actually own their own stores, which helps a lot of times. And so they were able to develop their own store at a mall, have a very low responsibility for any kind of, I guess you could say, management of that mall or upkeep of that mall. And they're able to turn that into something that's profitable. Okay. And is most of the volume institutional quality, or is it value-add and B properties as well, Kevin? Well, there's a pretty good mix we're seeing this year. So the large fortress malls that are usually considered the institutional quality assets have actually dropped a bit from 8 to $5 billion over the course of the year. But one of the proxies that I sort of use to determine what would be institutional quality would be the interest from overseas investors. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that some of the overseas investors have bought very high-end, say, lifestyle centers. So that would be UBS, the Swiss fund, buying a center in the Bay Area in Emeryville for $289 million, or Jamestown, the German fund, buying a lifestyle center in D.C. for 272 But there's also the redev opportunities. So there are Chinese developers who are buying in L.A., New York, looking to redev in good locations and possibly do something mixed use. So there's a pretty good spread across what's interesting the institutional players. Okay. And as you track these sales, what percentage of these sales are actually uh, financed on the property level? Well, a vast majority of them are. I've been tracking the CMBS market in great detail. We did a pretty good report in our half-year newsletter regarding this. And probably 82% of all malls that have traded, and those are the those large fortress mall-type centers, have been funded via CMBS. And that also includes that 59% of all tertiary markets have been funded, retail markets, I, sh- I should specify, have been funded via CMBS. So the CMBS market has been helping along retail considerably. Probably around four, mid-40% the past five years we've tracked of all retail deals are funded through CMBS. So that market is definitely driving some of these deals. And what types of uh, rates and, and loan-to-value ratios are you seeing out there? LTVs for retail properties are a little different depending on what kind of lender is funding you. You have something like an insurance company that would probably only fund at a 60% LTV, all the way up to maybe a private loan from a, I guess we call them financial companies for the ones we uh, don't necessarily categorize, probably about 74%, with CMBS around 66%. Okay. And are you seeing some positive leverage on these deals, or are they getting a uh, higher cap rate than their financing rate? It seems like they have been, be- mm-hmm. just because interest rates are so low. Mm-hmm. And so there still is are some deals that to be had out there with financing, at least until interest rates rise. Okay. And so when you talk to the, your, your clients and all over the world, and they're looking at retail properties, so they're bullish, even though they're, they know that online sales is growing, they're really bullish on retail for the most part? They're bullish if they feel that they can have some kind of, I guess, niche play that would be different from the usual. I think the usual for retail isn't going to work going forward. So if there's some kind of good inner city market or if there's some sort of daily use component that would attract a shopper to the center then that would interest an investor 
Okay, and we're talking with Kevin Imboden, Director of Research with RC Analytics, and we're talking about the retail investment market. And, and Kevin, is all, the volume of sales is a heavily uh, proportioned to central business district and, and large urban areas, or are you seeing some suburban uh, sales pick up? Well, we've seen about $12 billion in CBD sales of... Uh, as opposed to say like around nine billion in suburban sales for the large centers, mm-hmm. so definitely more of a trade transaction volume going to uh, CBD deals. The World Trade Center deal, for example, Westfield bought another fifty percent of the center that they didn't already own. Um, Varnado just recently had a very large deal in Midtown Manhattan where they bought a retail condo for over twenty-eight thousand dollars a square foot. <laughs> mm. That is some pretty impressive pricing. We only usually see that in, say, a Hong Kong or someplace like that. Is that a record U.S. Uh, price per square foot? It's got to be up there. What's interesting is that's still traded at a four cap, so the rents on that, that building are quite high. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's talk about caps. What, what are some of the cap rates that you're seeing on some of these properties? So retail as a whole, we're seeing around high sixes, mid to high sixes for the single tenant properties. There's been a bit of compression there over the last few years. The urban sort of locations have also seen compression down to around a five and a half nationwide. And to give some perspective on that, in 2011, they were a full thousand basis points higher. We were looking at mid sixes back then. And then the lifestyle center component of retail, we're down to around five nine for the few centers that have traded. So the lessons from that is that the high-end retail buy has seen a lot of compression, whereas some of the uh, the lower end, the unanchored centers, maybe the grocery centers, a little bit of compression, but not much. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and of course, the cap rates will range for the property and location uh, and the length of the leases around the country. We're talking about mainly and the core assets here. But, uh, well, stay tuned. We're going to have more on retail and retail investment market. And if you're listening to the show on one of the radio stations around the country, be sure to check us out on the show website. You can see some charts going along with what we're saying. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about a retail industry, we're talking about the retail real estate fundamentals, and we're talking about the retail investment market. My current guest is Kevin Imboden. He's Director of Research with RC Analytics, and they track the investment market for all property sectors all around the world. And Kevin, before the break, we were talking about cap rates for some of the, the retail properties, and of course they, they vary for a location and, and tenant and, and uh, the type of asset. So what are you seeing for cap rates on some of the major gateway markets uh, compared to maybe some of the secondary markets? Well, we're definitely seeing greater compression in the major markets. There's a lot of interest there coming from both domestic and international investors. So the spread right now between what we deem the six major metros and the rest of the country is probably around full percent and a half. But that's also being led by markets such as Manhattan, which this year especially, I've just seen caps compress all the way from 
Well, it was probably about a year ago, the mid-fives down to the low fours. So just in that short amount of time, we've seen huge compression there. We've also seen other markets such as the Bay Area be a little jagged and L.A. compressing a little bit, too. So those markets in California are probably around sixes at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about in some of the secondary markets? Uh, secondary markets as a whole, you're probably looking at around a six and a half. We're still seeing some pretty decent uh, values there, but that's also a huge decrease from where they were, say, in 2010, where you were looking at retail at over an eight cap. I think it's going to be quite a while before we see that again. Right. And this increase in, in sales that you've been seeing in the retail market, is some of that because of the spread uh, that you're seeing on cap rates uh, between multifamily and retail? What would be a, an example, maybe in New York or maybe nationwide, uh, on the spread between multifamily and retail right now? Well, multifamily has attracted so much investor interest just because of the fact that people had moved out of houses for so long. We had that huge bust in the economy, people got foreclosed on, and people moved it back into apartments, and rising rate rents, especially in major metros, got a lot of interest from a lot of the institutional players. So because the apartment sector is on fire, and we're seeing a lot of fives and sixes, Retail is starting to look more attractive again because retail properties could probably be more easily repositioned to have a more a value add play, and so some of the larger institutional players are going that route. Okay, well, I think everyone's interested in, in retail, and uh, it seems to be the most volatile sector, in my opinion, because of online sales and kind of that changing retail environment. So, what's your expectations for cap rates and, and values moving forward in the retail sector? Well, we've seen that compression slow the last year or two in in most markets. Like I had mentioned, we have that Manhattan outlier, which has seen huge compression. But it seems like the rate of change has slowed a bit. So the question is, well, in some of these prime markets, are those now so overvalued that there's going to be a major movement into the secondary and tertiary markets? We've seen some of that here and there, but it hasn't been complete. There hasn't been like the whole cattle herd mentality into those markets. But I think the continued pricing of the core sort of office markets that have previously attracted the trophy investor, as well as the aforementioned multifamily, is going to lead to some continued interest in retail. Okay. I think we're seeing that, too. Uh, we're in the, the southeast, and some of these secondary markets that we work uh, we're seeing an increased interest from investors, and I, and I guess they're, they're searching for yield. And, you know, one of the things that's uh, also on the mind of our, our listeners and viewers, I think, are, is the impact on the possible increase in interest rates on uh, retail over the next few years. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you guys predicting uh, for the impact of interest rate increases on retail values? Well, it's going to be similar to the rest of the commercial property sector. Will financing be more expensive because of the interest rate will increase? Well, of course, but how much will the spread be in some of these markets? Will it be worth it to continue to chase that trophy asset? And also, another issue that I think has been overlooked is that there's a lot of CMBS debt still out there that was issued in 2005 to 2008 when the market kind of finally ended. And that debt is coming due within the next, say, three, four years. That was all 10-year debt. So can that debt be refinanced? Have values gone up enough to equate with the large appraisals that were going on at that time? That's 
still sort of unclear. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I guess it depends on the fundamentals, right, on occupancy and rates and, and how much these values have improved over time and will improve between now and then? That's definitely a part of it. And mm-hmm. also, have we come to grips with just how overzealous some of those 2007 appraisals were? When we're looking back at some of our old data, some of those are a little out of line with even values today. Right. And how, and is there maybe less impact on these large core assets from interest rates since uh, a lot of these REITs and investors aren't really funding these with property-level loans, or is that still going to have a, an impact on values? It may still have an impact on values. Mm-hmm. So far, most of the REITs have had no problem raising funds, but that's because also the stock market has been just on fire lately. Mm-hmm. If, that, if there was a change there, then they may be impacted. Okay. I guess one of the things that's helped retail and commercial real estate in general uh, for values and occupancy and fundamentals is the lack of new supply, right? So is it time to build retail as the fundamentals have improved? And and what are you seeing for new supply levels? I think it might be time. There have been some development, especially in the outlet sector. Outlets have gotten a lot of interest. You have companies like Simon, like Tanger, have done really well not only building fresh outlets, but also expanding their current outlets. And that goes both in the U.S. and for our international audience worldwide. If the retail center is intelligently planned, it has that daily use component, the grocery store, the drug store that's driving foot traffic into the center more often, or if it's an inner city location, then those look to be those opportunities that could pay off. But if it's the suburban mall, the far-out suburban strip center, if it's not grocery-anchored, maybe not so much yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I think people want an experience, right? They want to go to these uh, malls and shopping centers where they can do other things and, uh, and maybe eat at a, kind of a chef-driven restaurant and just, just have other things to attract them to these centers, don't they? Absolutely. You can't always guarantee that someone's going to buy an expensive shirt or a wallet every day, but they definitely need to eat and they definitely need to go to the drugstore. That's right. Well, we're talking with Kevin and Bowden with RC Analytics. And Kevin, where do you see opportunities for developers and investors at this point? Well, I hate to sound a little redundant, but that would be sort of following up on the last question where we're looking at the mixed use, the inner city development. If those sorts of opportunities are made are met, then I think the developer or the investor would be quite fortunate. Until demographics change, we're still seeing that those demographic shifts back into the inner city. And because of that, you have greater density, you should be able to obtain greater foot traffic in a lot of these areas. And it sounds like from what you said that uh, you may expect some more cap uh, rate compression in the secondary markets or in some of the, from some of these investors searching for yield. That would be a guess on my part, yeah. certainly, just because of the pricing of some of these core markets has gone so high that at some point, whether it's the near future or the far future, there would be comp- continued compression in the secondary and tertiary markets just because there's nowhere else for some of this money to go. That's right. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for having me. For more information, uh, visit rcanalytics.com and stay tuned with us. We're going to have Jesse Tron with ICSC and we'll look at the retail industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. 
Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the retail industry and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Jesse Trani, spokesman for ICSC, International Council of Shopping Centers. Jesse, thanks for joining us today. Michael, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We appreciate it, Jesse. And, you know, it seems like I was seeing ads before Halloween, a couple of days before Halloween. It was blowing my mind for, for Christmas already. You know, what are the trends and expectations of when shoppers will spend their money this year on the holiday season? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like it gets early and earlier uh, every year. We saw about 35% of consumers said that they would already start their shopping um, you know, by the end of October, uh, so even before Halloween, and about 86% are going to have started uh, making purchases for holiday gifts by the time the Thanksgiving weekend is over. So after Black Friday, that Thanksgiving, 86% uh, will have started already making their purchases. Wow, and is that a, is that a change? Is it really getting earlier? Yeah, it, it, it certainly seems like it is absolutely getting earlier. I think that's up from last year. Um, you know, while that the starting is earlier, maybe not the completion, you know, uh, only about 10% will finish before Thanksgiving, but they will have started by then. So just getting in the mindset is definitely earlier, not necessarily the completion, though. Right. I remember when I was single. I didn't shop until Christmas Eve. <laughs> but Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I, I did the same thing. My wife yeah. would never let me get away with that now. But, <laughs> but only 1% of, of respondents said that they will start shopping on Christmas Eve. So procrastination is absolutely out this year. Okay. And what are expectations for holiday shopping volume this year? What do you expect? Yeah, we're expecting about a 4% uh, increase, um, you know, and that's going to be about $488 billion for that period, for that holiday shopping period, which is the November and December combined. That is what we refer to as the traditional shopping period. Uh, and that 4% is a really, really nice, healthy uh, gain that we're expecting. That's over an actual 2% gain last year. So if we had, you know, anywhere in that 35 to 4% gain, uh, retailers are going to be really, really pleased with that season. Okay. And to put it in perspective, how does it compare to, say, pre-recession days? Uh, Pre-recession is back ab- about on the level. I mean, obviously, we saw some uh, some some seasons that were higher than that. Um, 4% was, uh, was still nice, healthy growth. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw some seasons that, get, that, that got up during real, real sort of boom economic times. I think that we are, you know, trending in the right direction coming out of the recession. It was not a U-shaped recovery. Nobody expected that, you know, uh, at least on our end, we did not. We always thought it was going to be slow, measured growth coming back out of that recession, and that's frankly what we've seen. Um, Slow, steady, nice upticks, uh, you know, over the past several years, and if we get a nice, you know, 2% bump here up to 4% this year, that will really sort of signal that, you know, we're back on, on really the right trend. Um, and frankly, all the economic indicators are pointing that that's exactly what we're going to see. You know, uh, the job you know market is good for the most part. That, uh, consumers see value in their home prices; those are always important things. 
consumers are getting a huge break at the gas pump right now, which is very, very, um, you know, good for the potential for discretionary spending. Every dollar that goes back into the consumer pockets at the gas pump is going to be, you know, quite impactful on what they're going to be able to spend this holiday season. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and, you, and you're talking about consumers. Where are consumer confidence levels today? Yeah, consumer confidence also doing pretty well. We've seen uh, there was a little bit of mixed results, uh, you know, uh, at the end of October there. But but by and large, we've seen you know the consumers are are, are relatively confident. Uh, they're probably going to be looking to spend more this holiday season. Um, you know, at least that's what our our indications are. Six hundred and seventy-seven dollars on holiday-related items this year. Um, you know, five hundred and fifty-nine of that is going towards just gifts alone. Um, you know, and, and people were basically saying that, listen, they're going to buy more this year, and that's not has nothing to do with their job status or income. They're just going to buy more, which means they're feeling pretty good about where they're at right now from a confidence standpoint. That's great. We're talking with Jesse Tron with ICSC. We're short on the break here, Jesse, but what retailers do you expect to be the winners this year? Yeah, I think electronics. Uh, 52% said that they would purchase electronics this year. That's a striking difference from last year. Just 27% said that they would do that. Um, And then apparel. That's always the perennial favorite, right? We always buy apparel this time of year, uh, both as gifts and, and frankly, for ourselves, as uh, in many parts of the country, the the weather gets a little bit colder. Uh, But, yeah, 49% of people said, also, they were going to buy apparel. So electronics apparel, those are the two big ones. Okay. Yeah, we got to get those ugly sweaters, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone likes that party, don't they? The ugly sweater party. Yeah. That's, that's become a favorite. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jesse, thanks for joining us today. We sure appreciate uh, you calling in. Absolutely. Anytime, Michael. All right. Well, thank you. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the retail industry and retail investment market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Well, today we're talking about the retail industry, retail real estate, and retail investment properties. Please welcome my next guest, Kirk Williams. He is VP of Retail Services with Lincoln Property Company. They're headquartered in Dallas, and they develop properties all over the country and do third-party management and leasing. Kirk, thanks for joining us today. Michael, thank you for having me. I've certainly listened to the show over the years, and I'm honored to be here. Well, we appreciate uh, you being here in Studio One, uh, visiting us here in Atlanta. So, Kirk, on your retail properties that you see uh, around the country that you guys handle at Lincoln, what are you seeing for tenant traffic today, and how does it compare to, say, the last several years? Sure. Well, I'd say there's definitely a resurgence. Mm -hmm. It's not a renaissance by any means, Um, but, you know, it's been a difficult time in commercial real estate for Mm -hmm. all of us over the last four or five years, if you will. based on what happened in the early 2000s, but there is definitely a resurgence of tenant traffic. Um, There was tire kicking for 2012 and 13, but now you're moving towards deal execution and people really looking to occupy and grow their top line over the next few years. Okay, so you're seeing 
retailers get a little more serious about expansion. It seems like they were getting their toes in the water, but they were still a little skittish, right? That's that's absolutely true. I think there was a time when the only large tenants, anchor-style tenants you heard from were um, discounters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that way for a couple years. And now you're really seeing uh, you know, the field and streams of the world, the Dick's Sporting Goods of the world, um, really look to grow their footprint over the next few years. And how they find the market is they're looking for these marquee, these these top-level locations. How are they finding the market with, that, with the lack of new construction that we've had over the last several years? Are they able to find the locations they really like? I do believe they're able to find locations mm-hmm. they like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you're a, a retailer that's got great credibility and great name recognition, mm-hmm you know, you're going to have a lot of suitors. So uh, more so than I think the office world and the industrial world, you know, development in retail is truly led by um, led by retailers. You don't do spec retail development. So uh, when you go out there and you're Cabela's uh, and you're looking at South Georgia or you're looking at Minnesota, anywhere in the country, you're going to have four or five developers that really want to be involved and, and have great sites that might accommodate you. You're going to have economic development groups that, that want to court you as well. So uh, I think you can, depending on who you are, you can certainly find great opportunities. Yeah, and as we've heard from uh, Kevin and Bowden with RC Analytics, the, the retail investment market is hot, so investors, investors are looking for these projects. So mm-hmm. maybe it is time to build more. So. Uh, at Lincoln, are you guys building right now, and, and is it time to develop more properties, and are you guys actively uh, developing again? I would say that we are actively developing uh, very select locations and developments. Uh, we're really in acquisition mode, quite frankly, and I think, you know, based on your discussion earlier, you know, that's true for a lot of groups. There are There's good product type available in the market. Um, you know, if you're looking at core, core plus acquisitions, you know, all over the country, they're good assets that you can still create value uh, in the future. So I think the, the development cycle is coming along, but we are not there yet. We're, we're looking to actively develop a lot, and I don't think a lot of groups are either. And what are you seeing for underwriting today to to win those those properties to get have the winning bid? Uh, are you having to do some pro forma underwriting and and uh, hope that things are, are going to get better to win these properties? Well, the, those that you're going after, that's a good question. What uh-huh. we found is you've got to get pretty aggressive, mm-hmm. um, and the reason is the truly quality assets out there. You know, if you're looking to find a stable asset, there are a lot of suitors out there. There's a lot of money on the sidelines looking for those and. And we found that we've had to get more aggressive than, than we thought we'd have to. Yeah. And, um, but that's just where we are in the cycle. And you don't want to look back two years from now and say, wow, we should have we picked that up. Yeah, especially when you can lock in these these low interest rates, exactly. right? It's just incredible. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that'll be the shame if, if any of us look back or any of our listeners look back, and you know, three or four years from now, we look at well, fundamentals improved and increased. Uh, we could have locked in a low interest rate for some amount of time, and we didn't do it. Well, well, well. that's that's right. So you got to right. get aggressive. That's right. And as you said, uh, Kirk, you've got to have the tenants to to make these projects work. It's all about uh, providing the right uh, products for these tenants to do well in. So who? Who are the tenants that you're seeing are active? What type of tenants are are expanding in it? And if are there a few few names you can mention that are, are active? Sure, you know I think broadly around the country, um, you know the grocery segment is growing uh, at a pretty fast pace. I think if you look at the Southeast and even the Midwest, 
you've got groups like uh, Sprouts, uh, Earth Fair, you know, looking to grow their footprint uh, pretty significantly. And that spawned a good amount of development, whether that's typically a community center. So you're talking 80 to 100,000 square feet. The grocers, you know, 30,000 square feet of that with ancillary retail and out parcels. You know, that's good development for most areas of the country. Um, you know, you're also seeing uh, the cycle of dicks, they're growing. I mentioned Field and Stream. Uh, Costco's doing a number of units. I think they're doing 30 units in 2014 and 15. Um, so those groups are growing. Um, I think specialty uses as well. So obviously Apple's a strong name. Everyone knows Apple. They're growing. Starbucks is back in the cycle and growing again as well. Um, and those kind of users are doing well. What you don't see is the, the usual suspects from the mid-2000s. You don't see Target doing a number of locations. You don't see a lot of those big anchor tenants out there doing a great deal. In fact, some are contracting. Sears Kmart is a lot of news that you've seen over the past couple months. So. Yeah, and what is the impact of some of this contraction when you look at Sears and Radio Shack? You look at some of these tenants that are maybe giving up space. Sure. Uh, what impact are you seeing there? Well, Michael, as you, you, you mentioned earlier about the growth um, or development cycle, the reality of it is it's putting inventory back on the market. And, you know, I know that uh, we're going to close the loop on that, but we'll, get, we'll touch base on that in yeah. a few minutes. We'll have more in a moment. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We're talking about retail and retail real estate. My guest is Kirk Williams. He's with Lincoln Property Company. And Kirk, before the break, we were talking about some of these retailers who are giving up space, uh, like Sears and some others. Are there tenants that are, are taking up those spaces and glad to get them? What is the impact on some of the space that's been becoming available? You know, you're exactly right, Michael. I think that they're, you know, you went, you asked the question earlier about the development cycle, and that's really led by, you know, the age-old supply and demand question. Mm -hmm. And when you look at retailers like Sears, for instance, that's an easy one because, you know, that's been in the news lately, it's putting inventory back in the market. So you're talking about, you know, you're not talking about 10,000 square foot tranches. It's 80,000 square feet, 120. If it's on the end of a mall, it's 220,000 square feet. So significant amount of in inventory back. Um, what we have seen is that the discounters, um, they are looking heavily at that space, just depending on where they are. Anywhere in the country, if you could see a Sears, you're going to see Ross, Dots, Ollie's Bargain Outlet, Christmas tree shops, you know, all these discount uses will look at that mm -hmm. second generation space. Okay. And of course, as you said earlier, retail is all about the tenants, attracting them and making them successful. Yeah. What are you guys doing at Lincoln these days to attract good tenants and, and keep them profitable in your center? Well, that's a great question, Michael. If you look at, um, I'll, I'll answer it broadly, if mm -hmm. you look at development around the country and you say how many malls are getting developed, I don't believe there's one active today. Um, so it's mostly open air centers, it's lifestyle shopping centers, it's mixed use developments. And if you think about the tenant's mentality, what they're going for is that creation of place, that sense of, 
you know, environment that the developer's creating. And that's done a variety of ways. It's done through the architecture. Mm -hmm. Certainly, of course, the location. Uh, there might be, you know, you're driving up that triple net cost with music that's playing out in, you know, out in the pathways and, and lighting and, um, you know, picturesque trash cans. I mean, these things matter. I think in 2002, it didn't matter. We we're just putting together power centers with uh, the, the usual mix of suspects on the tenant side. But now you have to do a better job of curating a place and environment. And we're trying to do that um, in all our centers, whether we're acquiring them or whether we are, uh, uh, it's something that we've owned for some time. And the tenants, and, and rightfully so, are a lot more picky uh, about where they locate today, aren't they? They, they certainly are. Um, you know, tenant mix is always a question, you know, mm -hmm. who am I next to? That's as important as anything. But, mm -hmm. you know, of course, how does it lay out? Who are we next to? Um, you know, what are you doing that's different than just the average shopping center? I think to go out and find a piece of land and put up a box, you know, anyone can do that. And I think the market, driven mostly by consumers, you know, has to respond to that. And what would be a tip that you would relay to retail tenants out there, Kirk, that are looking for the right locations, uh, trying to get into the right spots? And well, you know, Michael, I think it's just like anything else. Mm -hmm. If you're the, can answer the age old question mm -hmm. of credit and rent and term, you're a very good candidate for most centers. But it's not like before, you know, just because you come to me and you're, you've got rent and credit, you might not fit the image a center is trying to create. And I think that's sometimes the hardest answer uh, um, to give a prospective tenant. They, they don't like to hear it. It's emotional, you know, mm -hmm. why not us? Um, but it's part of creating that environment now. And, and, and just like I said, you've got to respond to that. That's what consumers want. Right, and uh, we've we had that situation recently and uh, mm -hmm. they do get disappointed. Well, Kirk, thanks for joining us today. We sure appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, Michael, it's been great. And thanks for joining us on the 40 radio stations, iTunes, and the show website. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. Also, check out the show on YouTube. We'll have some charts that you can follow along with. And be sure to join us next week. We're going to have uh, interviews from Disrupt CRE. This is a great event in Boston where technology met capital, met commercial real estate show, and met commercial real estate. So stay with us and see it next week. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Brokerage, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Sozo Web Hosting and Cloud Solutions. Secure, reliable, and worry-free. Visit Sozo.com. That's S-O-Z-O.com. FIU, Florida International University. Earn your master's in real estate online in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit CREshow.com.